Hey everyone, this is Jordan Van Trump, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of How I Built This Ag Business. Just wanted to let everyone know this podcast is sponsored by the company I started right out of college called AgSwag. I'm sure like many of the other disruptors on this podcast, I started this company searching for cooler stuff and better service. One of my first tasks when I got out of college was finding some cool hats for my dad's business, as my family and their friends always struggled to source quality swag throughout the years. I started this company only making a few hats and have been fortunate enough to meet some of the top business leaders in the ag industry along the way. I've worked with some of the biggest disruptors currently in the space, such as FBN, Benson Hill, Pivot Bio, Pattern Ag, Organics, as well as many veterans such as Cargill, Nutrien, Dairy Farmers of America, Kent Corp, CGB, Helena, and the list goes on and on. Throughout this journey of providing swag to various companies in agriculture, I've had the opportunity to learn some of the best business lessons, hacks, marketing strategies, and many other things to take my company to scale and become more successful throughout the years. My intentions of this series is to bring on guests that I've had the opportunity to work with over the years to tell their story and hopefully help you build your business in the future. Hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of How I Built This Ag Business. Uh, we got three generations on the phone today with uh, the Stutzman group. Uh, we got Scott Stutzman, Mark Stutzman, Ron Stutzman, Tanner, and Logan Stutzman as well. Uh, the company has been around for more than uh, 85 years. It started all the way back in 1934. And now they handle everything from crop inputs to agronomy services, precision equipment solutions, grain handling system, animal nutrition, and a lot more. But uh, with that, I just want to welcome you guys to the show, and maybe we can go around and introduce ourselves first and uh, give everyone a lay of the land and then get into some good stuff. So Sounds good. Well, I'm, uh, I'm Ron Stussman, and it was my father that started this business in, in the 30s, and uh, uh, I was... I worked for him for, well, he's passed away, but I worked for the family business for over 50 years. Yeah, my name is Scott Stutzman. I've uh, uh, been with the business for 35 years, uh, graduated from Iowa State in uh, farm operations, and have spent most of my career in the uh, animal nutrition and the uh, transportation side of our business. I'm Mark Stutzman, 1985 graduate Iowa State, also in farm operations and um, responsibilities now um, with our family farm and retail agronomy group. Well, I'm Tanner Stutzman. I will be a member of our fourth generation here in Hills. I'm Mark's son. I graduated from Iowa State and have been back with the company here for seven years. Um, in our wholesale feed ingredient division, or animal nutrition division. I'm Logan Stussman, uh, like Tanner. I've uh, been back here at the company for seven years, graduated Iowa State in 2015. Um, spent my time building and managing our wholesale hose and valve division. Cool. Good deal. So, uh, Ron, do you want to get into it, I guess? How did uh, how'd this thing all get started, and how'd your dad do it, and... I guess what it looked like when you started to come on board. Well, I, I uh, uh, my father started cream route when he was in high school and uh, and uh, delivered cream for farmers to Iowa City, and then they started asking him to bring home groceries and feed and greet, different feed things, and that's how he started this business. And, uh, uh, and then I, uh, I was very lucky. He asked me to. It gave me the chance to be in the business. And um, I, uh, I'm very grateful for that. He set the bar high and he uh, uh, certainly uh, taught us the meanings of the difference between right and wrong. And, and then a, a small customer was just as uh, important to the company as a large customer. and. Uh, and that all employees should be treated equally regardless of whether they were the janitor or the president of the company. So uh, uh, we've been extremely blessed with some great employees over the uh, 80 some years in Venice. Uh, and the, in fact, my father's key man had worked for him for 50 years. He took care of all the stuff in the office. And, uh, and I think that today, uh, 
one of, one of the things I'm proud of that I think about 30% of our employees have been here 30 years. Uh, and we've had outstanding leadership from, uh, in all areas uh, throughout the time. And uh, we've had in the last 10 years, we've had two excellent non-family members uh, as president of this company. And uh, I think if you, uh, a Stutzman, uh, anyone or that, or last name Stutzman doesn't have a lot of uh, interest in things like insurance and accounting and a lot of details like that. Our family members are, uh, are concentrating on what we're gonna be doing tomorrow and next week, next year and 20 years, 10 years from now. And we've been very blessed in this time to have chosen uh, or and stumbled into some very good business areas, feed and fertilizer and warehouse, uh, uh, waste handling equipment, livestock waste handling equipment, sprayer equipment. Uh, and, uh, uh, grain handling and, and uh, Logan starting the hose uh, aspect of our company and transportation and brokerage. Uh, they are businesses that are, it doesn't really make much difference whether hog, cow, chickens or price or whether they make any money, they make about the same amount of waste. And that's our business is very consistent. Most of everything we're in. So, uh, what'd you guys start out? What'd you guys start out as? What'd your dad started out as? Feed. Feed. Yeah. And I had, and when I came here, he had a great staff of people. And uh, so I, I needed to do something a little bit different. And the Rock Island Railroad closed their coal yard here in town. And my father bought that and we filled those bins with fertilizer and started with an eight end Ford and a ton and a half spreader. Wow. And then just kind of started building out from there. So yeah. What was one of the, uh, what was one of the, I guess, key growth things that you, that you added when you kind of came on board? What did you guys pivot into that kind of took? Well, I was, it was something different. You know, you got a, you got a legacy coming into the company. He wasn't, messing it up for somebody else. And then that, the fertilizer, that was the infancy of that in 62 and three and a lot of that. And it was just a great opportunity for the company to grow with that. Interesting. Yeah, and that is each one of the, do you see as each one of the new generations come on, do they have their own things that they're trying to add or new revenue channels or new, like you just said, uh, you got- I, I think- I think to make it uh, bearable for a legacy in a company like this, you have to have them in a position that, that, that they're not competing with other family members. And we're pretty much all in a, in a different area of, of the work, although we have to, there's a lot of things we have to agree on, but there's a lot of things. I don't know what these guys are doing. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like here at our, uh our house, my son and daughter will come to me with all kinds of crazy ideas. And I'm like, man, here's how much money I'm willing to allocate to this. If it goes beyond this, I'm out. Like, I'm done. <laughs> the, hard the hard part, the hard part is to uh, say, uh, I tried that 25 years ago. It didn't work for the day. Um, that's what Jordan always says. Jordan always tells my wife, he's like, is dad ever going to say yes to any of our ideas? Because he says he's done all these. They're all stupid. I said, well, I'm just letting you know, I've gotten banged up pretty good on a lot of uh, things I thought was good. <laughs> no, I that's right. No, but yeah, I think that's important because we have a lot of family operations that are, you know, four generations. And it seems like you guys are saying this similar. That you got to just divide that out and let people have some leadership within their own lanes or their own channels. And, and then hopefully some of the people that have more experience like yourself, you can say, hey, that might not be a real, a real bright idea there, and you have to taper it back a little bit. But yeah, that's definitely what we're seeing. That example about. right now is uh, Logan's wife is uh, heading up uh, our uh, uh, internet marketing. Yeah, yeah. And just taking that, where that's all going, I don't know. But it's it looks pretty darn good right now, and uh, uh, 
And no one's done that before. It's all new territory, nothing to be judged by. And uh, nope, I agree. I agree. So, Jordan, what are some other questions you got? Yeah, what did so what did the company so jumping to Scott and Mark? What I guess what did the company look like when you guys kind of graduated college and stepped on board? And I guess like what what were your first ventures you guys took off on and kind of ran with, and maybe some you failed at and. Uh, the ones that are succeeding now. Well, when I when I started, <clears throat> Scott and I both started in the mid '80s when um, farm economy was pretty tough and fertilizer business was tough with the um, set aside program. It was very popular and took acres out of production. So, you know, we were really. Uh, one thing we're really proud of, we've, we've never had a layoff in 85 years. Wow. So in that time, we were scrambling to find meaningful work for everyone. And I uh, hopped in a car and it was crisscrossing the Midwest going to fertilizer disbursement auctions and buying used fertilizer equipment. And we would bring it back and refurbish it, paint it and um, get it ready to, uh, for resale and did that um, for quite a few years. And uh, it, it was a very good sideline business for us. And then through consolidation, we went from a single uh, a retail agronomy outlet to eight retail outlets with um, some a couple startups and a couple acquisitions. Yeah, it makes sense. So that's, I, I guess I gather from that when, I guess when times were tough and people were uh, going out of business, that's when you folks were uh, in a position to, to, I guess, you know, gather them up and, uh, and grow your business. So I, I've always found that to be interesting. And I, I think that's important for a lot of younger people to understand. Um, I equate, I had a chance to go in, I tell the story maybe before at a conference, but I had a chance to go. Some kids wanted me to, uh, some guys I went to school with wanted me to back them on a concrete foundation business. And we'd be new at the business. And I was probably going to have to take out a million dollar line. Uh, I was going to put up maybe a half million, but I needed another million dollar line of credit. And I checked around the Kansas City area. This is like 0506. And you got this will hit home for you guys. And I, I checked around and there were about three, three old boys that had operations that were debt free and they had cash and they had their equipment and all their panels paid for. And my, uh, my grandpa said, he's like, boy, this market takes a spill. He's like, you're going to have all that line of credit out there. And these guys are just their workers off and, you know, they'll do it for as cheap as they have to go. And sure as hell, it was probably the best advice I was ever given. And I, and I didn't do it, but I look back at that and I'm like, man, that could have, that would have really sunk us uh, for sure. And it sounds like you guys have been, you know, done well on that side of it where other people may have gotten out over the tips of their skis and, and levered up and levered up. And then you guys are in a position where you can take advantage of that when times go, go uh, south, which feels like could be coming up here as we move forward uh, here a little bit, at least in our perspective. We're, that's we're all, trying to that's keep all, That's all good. That's all good said and done. And it's worked here on the different things, but boy, I'll tell you what, when you've got this fertilizer shed full of, of a thousand dollar app and she goes to 500. I don't know quite how, I'm not exactly sure how that is all gonna work out. And one day ammonia will not be anywhere close to the price it is now. And uh, that's the scary part for me. Yeah, we. I went out and spoke. This was probably, you know, when we had that last fertilizer kind of crash, I don't know what year that was, but I was out speaking and a lot of fertilizer places had their had had the facilities full. And about two years later, three years later, I went out. They didn't have much in there at all. And I said, "What what what's happened?" And they're like, "Hell, we're not inventorying anything." They're like, "We're in the finance business now. We're we're, we're just pretty much making a point. We're, we're making a point every month. Just we're in the finance business, trying to get guys to pay." So, an inventory. They had their inventory way down. I mean, they had it knocked way down. That's. Yeah, how do you manage that type of risk? I mean, what do you guys do on that front? You hedge the hell out of it? What, I mean, well, yeah, well, unfortunately, on the paper market, there's, in my opinion, not enough liquidity 
to feel very comfortable doing that. And the, I think the lesson we learned in 08, 09 was high prices <laughs> will cause demand destruction, particularly in P and K. And um, you just got to get smarter. And, you know, right now you, um, as a retailer, we've taken the position, you buy a little, you sell it, and then you go buy some more. And at, at, at the logistics of the rail and, and the complications of the rail, when the economy came back online all at once, just like in 08, I said, you, you got to be careful when you're forecasting out in any business, because if the economy stalls like that, then when it comes back online, there's a race for rail. And sometimes fertilizer industry gets kind of pushed to the side a little bit. So has that been tough to juggle that as well? I mean, not, not yet. We're, you know, we're blessed to be in the Mississippi River um, market, which, you know, we're less than an hour from the river. So that, that's kind of a buffer for us. But you're exactly right, Kevin. There's big parts of the country that are solely dependent on rail service. And I think it's important for producers to hear this from you guys. I mean, because I'll have a lot of producers who just cry like crazy when they put off and put off and put off booking, you know, hoping prices are going to come down. Then they want to kind of go off on their ag retailer because they can't get it. Or if they do, they have to really pay up for it. And a lot of times it's just because their guys are holding less inventory, a lot of the ag retailers, because there's so much risk on the line. And then there's just rail and transportation issues in a lot of places where it, it can be really tricky. So I think you, producers got to think that out. Is that what you tell your producers? Like, you know, Hey, better get your orders in here. Well, communication and, and uh, product budgeting has never probably been this important. Right. Right. Huh. Yeah. What do you, what are you guys looking at? What are you thinking on fertilizer? Product? Where do you think we're headed? Well, let's, let's, let's start that with you telling me where the corn market's going. <laughs> I hear you there. I hear that. So well, you know, here's how I look at it. You know, as, as a producer, you ought to say to yourself, how many bushels of corn does it take to buy a ton of potash or a ton of map or a ton of ammonia? And let that be your guide. Um, is it a good buy? And, you know, in these times, producers shouldn't worry about uh, shopping one retailer versus another to, to save 20. They ought to be talking with their retailer on timing of the purchase, maybe to save 100. Right. Right. Yeah. And you guys help people with that. Absolutely. Now, we're wrong half the time, but... Sure. Hey, you never know. <laughs> We'll never tell a customer what to do, but we take pride in being pretty good stewards of the industry with uh, industry involvement, association involvement, a strong peer network, and really taking the pulse of what's going on in the industry. And we'll share every bit of that that we can glean but uh, we're very careful not to tell them what to do. I know this is getting off how the business is built and Jordan will be getting mad, but what do you guys think of all the, uh, with the fertilizer being shut down, a lot of the plants in Europe and things of that with uh, Ukraine and Russia, how, is that gonna have any real direct impact on, on you folks or? Oh, um, it certainly will. Right now we're seeing a lot of nitrogen being exported from the United States to help those people out. And, you know, we all need producers, retailers, everyone needs to remember that today we operate in what's truly a world market. And when you think you have the market figured out, something happens in China or elsewhere in the world that will change market dynamics overnight. And it's truly a world supply and demand that we need to look at. I agree. So. Well, Jordan, what else? Get us back on track. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when did, uh, so was it, was it uh, when Scott and Mark, when they came on board, is that like when you guys really took the company to scale and started added multiple locations and sounded like you guys had a strong business before that, but it might've just been one location. When, when did you guys actually like start ramping this up and 
adding locations. Was that when you guys came on board, Scott and Mark? Well, that's, that's a tough question. When you're here every day, it just seems like incremental um, growth every year. And I, I would say it's just been uh, a couple generations of having the ability to look over the horizon and anticipate what might be the next new product or service that customers in our community would find value in us providing. You know, and, and that's the easy part. At some point, you got to find really good people that are willing to raise their hand and say, yeah, I'd like to be in charge of that and help make it happen. And that's where we've been so blessed over the years is having those people that are willing to raise their hand and assume responsibility. Is, are those people someone you already have working in the business or are those people you guys are going out and trying to recruit? Mostly uh, organic growth from inside the company that uh, we've, we've, you know, and we're, we've been blessed and been able to hire good people and been able to grow the business so they can grow with us and, and not have to go outside to find more responsibility or, or more money. So are you, have you guys ever like, uh, so say you want to, whose idea is it to go down these paths? Is it the employee's idea or do you guys come up with the idea like, hey, we want to venture into this space. Is anyone willing to take the ball and run with it? Is that something you guys bring up or does someone inside the company, one of the employees? Oh, we, had, we had a young guy work here for while he was going to Iowa State and uh, he, he, uh, I got out of Iowa State, went out in Nebraska and started a fertilizer company up for a large grain company. My wife and I went out to see him and he was doing a heck of a job. And I said, um, you ought to come back here to Wellman Island. They need a fertilizer. There's a guy who wants to sell out there and uh, we ought to be 50-50 uh, partners. And his mother had some money and she loaned him money uh, to help and, and just situation like that. And uh, find somebody that uh, you can really trust and, and uh, uh, wants to run their own business, be a partner. And we've, we've been criticized before, but we've got several 50-50 partners. And uh, we've got 145. 55 we're 45 well there's a hell of a difference between that and when everybody's equal and uh so I, it's it's been a it's it's tough until they, it's, it's great until they get retirement age <laughs> what the hell you do no that's true yeah i could see that for sure that's how we've said a lot of our in the past in the businesses we would go in partnerships set them up as profit centers and you know, run the profit centers like that. But yeah, the exit, I, I'm with you. And when, when guys want to exit or it gets older, it, it definitely gets, uh, definitely gets yeah. And Jordan's trying to figure out now how to hire people for his businesses. And he's running into a, uh, a you know, several headwinds on the hiring front because wage growth's kind of gone nuts. Half the people down here want to work from home, or I should say more than half, right? Three quarters of the younger kids, you know, and the work from home thing, I don't know. It just, it squirrels me up a little bit. It seems like you need that, you need that uh, synergy or the camaraderie and the, and the kicking around ideas in person. And I don't, how are you guys handling that? You guys don't have any work from home, I'm assuming, really? No, we had a little bit of work from home uh, during COVID, but we brought everybody back. It just, uh, for us, uh, working from home is not, uh, not work. And uh, <laughs> uh, we, we would prefer not to go there. No, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. But that's what makes it tough on hiring some of these younger people. I'm sure you're seeing it yourself. But you guys hire, you guys got a good inroads, obviously, to Iowa State. So is that one of your main for hiring younger people? Or is it just people that your sons know and their friends know and things like that? I think we have 30 Iowa State people here now. Wow. Nice. No, we, we've just recently, um, I guess, in 85 years of of the company history this past year, we just recently hired a full-time recruiter and uh, she's, she's traveling to 
all the colleges and community colleges and job fairs and high schools and, you know, any place that we can send her to recruit. Um, and we've got over 400 employees. So um, it's become uh, quite a job to keep all, all the seats full. Yeah, I can imagine the HR, HR uh, things you have to watch and do and, and in today's world, especially. Things have definitely changed. So well, what, do you, else? What, do you, uh, what do you guys think really set you apart from some of these other retailers um, just in the hiring process, keeping your employees, bringing employees on, getting those leadership role people? What, what do you think main difference is? Well, one thing I, I think is crucial to our recruiting success is being able to get them on our campus and to see our facilities, our level of housekeeping, and to meet um, those people that they would be working with and um, take some pride in the culture we've been able to develop on you know, how we treat each other, how we judge each other. And, um, and another part of that is we're a big believer in merit-based pay. And those that come to work and have a great attitude and have the ability to demonstrate that they can help our customers be successful, um, that's what we're all about and they do pretty well here. And I think that speaks to the longevity that Ron mentioned with so many long-term employees. I think a couple other things might be our diversification and the different entities that, that we have. We've, over the years, have you know, maybe hired somebody on for a, a role in our agronomy department. And, and uh, over time, they transfer to maybe the feed division. And uh, uh, so there's opportunity there. Also, we, we work hard to create the family atmosphere. And, you know, I like to think that we do a lot of things uh, that maybe, a, a, you know, a big company might not uh, do for their employees. So we always try to be mindful of that. Perfect. That's hard. Keeping the culture is very hard when you get to the level of people that we've got. Uh, you've got to work on that uh, extremely hard. Yeah, and we've seen that across the most successful companies that uh, it seems like they get their culture right from top to bottom and they they really strive to stay on that, like you said. And we've invested in a lot of ag tech startups that their culture wasn't really right from top to bottom. The leadership was different than the people they were trying to hire and the people they were trying to hire to go see the farmers wasn't right. I mean, and that culture, you know, it was just a mesh of people and uh and they've struggled. One of, the, one of the things that's hurt cultures in these companies is this transition we talked about of, of moving to the home office, our home, uh, working from home. That, I think, really has a negative effect on culture. And, and I, I see it. One thing that's uh, uh, significant about a little town of Hills, Iowa, we have a very outstanding bank, uh, community-owned bank, a couple thousand employee, uh, stockholders. When I went on that board, it was 65 million. Now it's four and a half billion dollars, a town of a thousand people. And it's the culture that did it. And boy, I tell you what, getting that culture back on track after a whole hell of a bunch of these people were working from home for eight, 10 months is, has been difficult for them. Very difficult. And uh, yeah, I, I, I see that in a lot of companies that, Oh, boy, it's hard to keep a family culture and everybody working in the same boat happily together. Yeah, from an economic standpoint, they say the uh, quits rate is as high as it's ever been. They call it the jump rate where people, kids are jumping from company to company. The loyalty is as low as it's ever been in America for working for companies after COVID because they got to work from home. And, you know, and, and it's there getting higher paid jobs on these jobs. Yeah. And when you're stuck working at home, I don't think you develop the friendships or the camaraderie that you had with the folks at uh, work. And then so that, you know, just easier to leave and jump. So I, I hear what you're saying. I, I don't know. That's, that's the big debate kind of right now on wall street. Will the country 
ever go back to pre-COVID. I don't, I don't know. I don't, well, it just doesn't feel like it, you know, office, office occupancy still below 50% in all the major cities. And I, I don't think it's going to go back. I, it's definitely going to be interesting. So right. wage inflation could stay hot for a while. So what are what are uh, what are you guys seeing on that front, Tanner and Logan? What, how how are you guys doing on hiring young guys right out of school? Are you struggling on that front, or uh, you you mainly bringing in older guys, or are you guys trying to bring in the young guys like us? Or well, I think there's a mix. I mean, I think depending on who you ask and who's doing the hiring, they they might have a different preference on what they want. I think we are in a good spot where we do have you know Iowa State University in our backyard where we can find you know, some pretty high end talent coming right out of school, looking for a place that they can grow and really, um, you know, kind of earn their stripes. But I think we've also seen that there is some value in bringing in people with 20 years of experience that have a lot of connections that can come in and really kind of give a jump start to whatever division they come into from day one. Um, but I think as you look around our company, and you look at our division managers, a lot of them are people that have been here for 30, 40, some even 50 years, and they grew with the business. And I think that's been a big advantage for someone like myself coming in that I can learn from someone who, you know, he was routing trucks when, you know, there was only two or three trucks going out in a hundred mile radius. Now there's 20 trucks going out over the surrounding 10 states. So I think there's value to finding someone that's wanting to come in hungry, eager to, you know, make a name for themselves, but you can't lose sight on the value of bringing in someone with 20 years of experience and connections that can really be a benefit from day one to your company. I got, well, I got, I got, I got a question. What you younger guys, what did your dads and uh, grandfather do that I guess laid the groundwork to, that, encourage you guys to come back and, and, and work in the family business and things like, cause we see a lot of them, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a struggle and uh, it, it's, it's kind of difficult. The parents and grandparents love them to come back, but the kids don't want to. And, you know, there's just, what, what do you think they did right that, that uh, brought you guys back? I don't think there was ever an expectation for us to come back. I think that, uh, you know, obviously everybody in the family had kind of hoped that, uh, more family members would want to get involved and be a part of our business. <clears throat> but uh, growing up, um, we were always actively um, around the business, uh, got to know the people really well, uh, spent a lot of time down here in town at the scale house on a Saturday morning and in the busy season or whatever it may be. But I don't think there was ever really a, a big push that you have to come back and do this. Um, and actually, there may have been a little bit of the opposite of that, uh, more of a drive to go work somewhere else for a while. Uh, Tanner's brother, Tyler, did just that, uh, just to try to gain some knowledge outside of what he already knew from our business. And, and there's a lot of value to that. And I think that not pushing us to get done with school and get back here, or maybe graduate college and come back and or graduate high school and come back and don't go to college. That was never, never something that was pushed. Um, it was, you know, go get some education, go work somewhere else, learn something, and then come back and, and be able to bring some value if you want to come back. Um, and I think, I think that was done very well. Uh, I think with that, it maybe motivated some of our, our younger generation, Tanner and I, and the fourth generation to come back uh, and be a part of that. And instead of just being thrown into the fire and saying, well, we need you here, get to work. Um, it allowed us to try to figure out how us as individuals can really add value to the business and not just be somebody who's going to show up to work every day to five because we're supposed to be here. We have to be here. Um, and I think we've all, it didn't happen right away, but it, it did take us a little bit of time to identify what those pieces may be. Um, you know, Tanner specifically has been in several, several different roles since he's been back and, and, you know, one he may not love, but the next one he might like quite a bit. So I think that giving us some time to really figure out where we fit um, and not being just thrown into something that maybe we're not passionate about or we, we don't know anything about um, was done very well. And I think that's helped keep us motivated and hungry to be here and try to make tomorrow a better day than today. 
Perfect. Jordan? What all what all have you young guys tried uh, since you've been on since you guys have been on board? Has there been a few ventures that didn't quite work out for you guys or yeah, I mean, when I when I came back from Iowa State, so, you know, I came right back. And I think one thing that was important to, you know, whether it was, you know, grandpa or dad or, you know, Scott was, you know, starting at the bottom and really learning the fundamentals of our business. And um, so when I came back, I was answering the phone. I was doing some inside sales. I was dispatching trucks. And, and I really enjoyed that because in our animal nutrition division, you know, we'll have 2000 products that'll go through our warehouse. So for me to come back and expect to be able to go out to a customer and maybe sell right away and try and be an expert on 2000 products is, uh, isn't very realistic. So, you know, those first couple of years when I was answering the phone and, and really just trying to solve problems for our customers and help them get the, you know, get the products and the service they were needing, it allowed me to learn our customer base and learn our products and, and really get to the point where I felt like I had a pretty good stronghold of it. Um, before I maybe moved on to, to something that was a little more my speed, um, started dispatching some of our feed route trucks, and, and that provided a lot of challenges on, you know, you heard grandpa say it, you know, our smaller customers are just as important as our biggest customer, and prioritizing, you know, how you're routing those trucks around the Midwest and how you're doing it so people aren't running out of product was, was a good challenge for me. Um, and then I decided right before COVID hit, I was going to go and be a purchaser. So that provided its, its own challenges, you know, in the first, you know, six months of, of me doing that job, I saw, I saw prices up, you know, 200, 300%. So um, I looked really good off the bat. Now that we see some prices starting to come back down, that got a little more challenging, but it's been really fun to just see a totally different side of it. Um, and I've kind of worked my way through where I, I've had, I've had my hand on a little part of each of that division um, to really get a grasp of what we're doing and, and, and when what's important when making decisions as we look for the next, you know, 10, 20 years. Where, where do you younger guys see the business going or the industry in general even going? Let's put you on the spot here, really in front of grandpa and your dad. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious too. <laughs> Well, it's, it's a hard question that, you know, to answer. I, I think, you know, obviously we want to remain good at the things that we've done really well for a long time. And, and first and foremost, that's service. You know, we want to be a service oriented company and, and we don't want that to waver. But, you know, we always want to be, you know, reaching out and looking for the next innovative product, whether it's something going into an animal diet, um, you know, whether it's a pet food line or, or maybe it's selling wholesale hose and valves. Um, to an industry that's not necessarily related to agriculture at all. Um, you know, I think one of the things, you know, that that has started here in the past 10 years is, is a logistics company. You know, they don't own any trucks or trailers. Um, and it's just a group of brokers in an office going out looking for business and moving freight from point A to point B. So those are the kind of situations that we need to be looking at. And I, it's hard saying what's out there around the corner, but I think it's up to us to not only be, you know, working in the business on a day to day, but working on the business and, you know, what is that next venture we get to? So I, I don't know exactly what it is, but having the wherewithal to know that it's an opportunity when it comes your way is, is, is important. I think it's amazing how quickly businesses whether they be our vendors or whether they be our customers change. I mean, Tanner and I have only been back here for seven years and we've worked in two completely different worlds of agriculture. And I can guarantee that both of us have seen an incredible amount of change, whether it be with the customers that we're trying to service or whether it be with a vendor that uh, we're trying to buy product from. And I think that over time, we're going to struggle to maintain some of the, the oldest business units within our company as consolidation continues to run crazily and, and uh, vendors, you know, continue to get bigger and compete with you when they used to be supporting you. Um, you know, in the little world I live in, that's, that is uh, something I fight quite a bit is uh, my biggest competitors may not be, somebody doing something similar to what I'm doing, but, but it's my suppliers and trying to work through that is going to be really hard. And I think no matter what business unit 
we have, they're all going to struggle with that same type of situation. And if we're not continuing to find a new way to add profit centers into our business, we're going to continue to get pushed out of other profit centers that we may have had for 80 years. So I think making sure that we understand that and know that being pushed away from one thing isn't necessarily a bad thing as long as we can find something else to replace it. I think that's going to be the important thing. And I think like Tanner mentioned earlier, you know, our core business is agriculture, but there's a lot of other industries that have a lot of money moving every day. And if we're not trying to branch into other areas to try to bridge some gaps, um, we are probably just kidding ourselves because agriculture is big, but, um, it's a small world out there and, and things change quickly. So I think it's important that we keep our eyes on that stuff. Yeah. Willing to expand. One thing, one thing that you, you asked a question about uh, growth and all this. One of the things that's really been a, a help to us is the president of our company right now was the chief financial officer for a company with 6,000 trucks. Well, when you've got a couple hundred uh, and you bring in somebody that had to deal with it, those are the kind of people, if you can find the right kind of guy, that can really bring you a new way to look at a lot of things you do. And uh, we've been fairly lucky on that deal, hiring. Logan found a guy that really knew the hose business and, and from a came from a large company and brought some very valuable knowledge. That's the kind of thing we have to keep finding once in a while is people that have been there, done that at a much larger scale than what we are. Yeah. Sounds like well, investing in people is uh, critically important. Oh uh, yeah. It's all people. Yeah. When, when did you guys decide to, uh, you said the president isn't in the family. When did you guys decide let's, let's start to bring someone outside of the family into these leadership roles. And how hard, how hard was that to do? Was that a big well, step for you guys? Well, a couple of things related to that, you know, we're all familiar with third generation business troubles and um, very, very few businesses survive past that. And, you know, I credit Scott and I, neither, neither of us have ever been, caught up in the importance of titles, you know, conversely, we just wanted what's best for the company. And, and having the humility to say, um, is there somebody else in the world more capable and that can help us get to our goals? Um, and, and that's kind of what it's centered around. And, and Scott and I have both a passion and more on the operations side of the business. And why not find somebody that excels in the other areas of the business? And um, that's what we've done. And, it, and it's worked out really well. Yeah, I'd just like to say that I, my belief is, is when you start thinking that you're the smartest guy in the room, uh, troubles are ahead. So you know, to, to Mark's point, um, I think we do, you know, our best work on the operational side of the business and, you know, thinking down the road three to five years. And uh, we've been real fortunate to bring in some outstanding talent uh, to help us on the, the other parts of the business. Yeah, makes sense. Kevin, one of the things that uh, I've thought about a lot I think it uh, came from your newsletter. Uh, you uh, said if, if, if you wanted to make money, you had to do part of three things, one of three, one, and one was you had to teach someone else how to make money, you had to teach them how to save money, or you had to teach them how to save time. Like, think about that tell people our people about that every chance I get. And right now, one of the things that we're really accelerating on 
is teaching people how to save time. Nobody has enough help. So we can teach them how, and these feed trucks are dealers. We sell our feed ingredients is for manufacturing. It's not complete feed. And so we now, if the dealer will call in here, we'll stage, we'll stage his load. You get a 20 ton load, we'll put it in aisle, put 20 ton in, he pulls in here, he's loaded in, in uh, 15 minutes. And uh, we're, we're just kicking off, they just today put the first fertilizer through a plant that should, which should make us at least four or five times faster getting trucks out of here than we were in them before. And a guy does not need to send his truck in here to get a load of fertilizer and wait two hours for us to do it or go to the river and wait two or three hours to get loaded and unloaded. So it's time, 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 time. And that's one of the things. And I got that, all that came, I'm just sure that came from your newsletter. Yeah, that's good to think about for sure. I think that's hell. If everyone thought about that, that'd be it's a golden rule right there. Um, put that right. on the walls for for sure. So, Jordan, <coughs> excuse me. Can't think of anything off the top of my head. I think I've gone through. Yeah, what uh, I wanted to ask. Yeah, what are I, I always ask? What are a couple of what are the couple of bigger mistakes you've made through the years or I call them, you know, learning lessons, I guess. And I've made a ton. So what are a couple that maybe stick out where you guys were like, man, that definitely looked good on paper or sounded good if you said it real fast. But once we, once we tried to execute, that thing just didn't go as planned. Anything you can think of off the top of your head? You know, one thing that on our, on our feed division, I guess about, Eight nine years ago, we we spent a lot of money to uh, make it easy. You know, we we constantly talk about how can we make it easy for the customer to do business with us. And about eight nine years ago, we spent a lot of money uh, on a online ordering format, so our feed dealers could get in and uh, order online. And uh, to our surprise. You know, they really weren't interested in that. You know, they still want the, the contact. They want to talk to somebody. They want to talk to somebody on the phone. They want to have that relationship. And, um, you know, like I said, that was eight, nine years ago. And maybe we're getting closer with more of the next generation, the younger generation working in the industry. But eight, nine years ago, we spent, spent a lot of money and it, it, it just didn't go. What, what do you guys think on that? What, what do you think about change? I mean, do you, do you, Jordan and I have come up with a conclusion. We, we do a lot of, uh, like I said, investing in ag tech startups. We founded and funded a bunch of different groups and, and different ag tech startups. But I almost want to argue, and you guys tell me if I'm nuts on this. I feel like there's about 50, maybe 10% of the farmers and producers that they just love experimenting or they like change they'll try something new all the time and you know they'll try something and then they'll try something and and i see these ag tech startups come on and they'll get that 10 percent market share but that's what those people like to do even if the stuff works for them even if they find a something that works for them a, a micronutrient a chemical a, they change two or three years later they, they like to just try something new and that's what they do is just try something new but the rest of the community, they don't like change. And they're not real receptive of changing. They're very loyal. They're super loyal, I think, to their, to their people. And, and I think it's interesting. That's why when some of the younger kids come to us with ideas and it's these big, broad change type things, and they think they're going to just win the whole market share over, I'm like, man, I'm just not sure if you're going to win that 10% over for about one or two years, and then they're going to change on you. And, they're not loyal to anything either. You know what I'm saying. And so I, I, I don't know. What do you guys see? Are people real receptive to a lot of change? It depends on the, right. It depends on the business unit and the, the different, you know, agriculture's very much the same, but very much different, right. And in, in your uh, different segments. Um, I think like you said, Kevin, I think there are a lot of people that want to change 
but there's more people that don't. And I think that is actually, um, could be one of our biggest challenges here is uh, maybe not, you know, when Tanner and I came back and I know we're talking, you know, outside, but I'll relate it back to our business here. Um, Tanner and I came back, we've had ideas and, and we've wanted to try to do things. And, and I would say that from a leadership standpoint, we've been supported in that regard very much so. Um, and we've been able, we've had the ability to try to make some changes, um, whether they be big or small. Um, but convincing people that that change is really going to make their life easier and, and going to make their life better or going to make the organization better, that, that's a little bit bigger challenge for us. Um, well, I, thought, I thought all of my the last 40 years that we stumble into some kind of foliar feeding or these micronutrient micro things would really come along. I Monsanto told me 20 years ago that they were right on the edge of finding some way to, to get corn to produce its own nitrogen. And these things just haven't happened. Another area that, that we have spent God awful amount of money on is odor control and hog manure. Monsanto is another company that spent a, 10 times more than we spent on that. And it just never has happened in total. And uh, there's just, there's been a lot of things like that. And then another thing I think about when you ask that question, there's, there was a time when my father had a part of our store here that was almost like a farm and fleet. And that was before that. There was a chance that we didn't take to go out and we could have been the first farm and fleet. But we were so undercapitalized, we couldn't do it. And when I think of certain things, why didn't they work? Why, it was quite often, we didn't have enough money to do it right in a big way fast. And uh, yeah, makes well, sense. if you if you look back over my career, I mean, let's not lose track of there's been incredible change from GMOs and uh, precision technology. And, and you know, I, I think it gets back to, again, time. Can I save time? Can I reduce risk? And can I be more productive? If it solves one of those three, I think, I think it has a chance to develop legs. That's good. One of, one of that, uh, that I think is interesting, and it'd be a good subject at your conference this winter, is um, there, like I see BMW, I, re I read in a journal that BMW is coming out and their car has all the extras on. But if you want a heated steering wheel, you sign up just like you do for the XM radio and all of that. You're going to pay 50 bucks or 50 cents a month or something like that. There's a, a John Deere's got a sprayer that you can buy a special boom for, and I don't know enough the detail. But you pay a big price for the, the boom, but you also pay for every acre the boom sprays. You know, with the GPS and all of this, these things can be tracked. And I believe there's going to be more and more and more of that kind of parts of equipment and cars and trucks and everything we buy that is going to, we're going to pay. Yeah, I, I can see that. That's, they're putting toll booths up everywhere. I call that a toll booth. It's like, that's right. That's, that's exactly right. Buy the car, but if you want to press the gas pedal, that's an extra dollar a month if you want. No, I, I don't. That's know. right. So yeah, you're you're definitely right there. So I I always tell Jordan it's interesting because we used to in Chicago I had a business. Uh, oh, he was the owner, CEO, and he would just be like, you know, it's just critically important where you decide to put your toll booth up as a business owner or someone who comes up with things. And, uh, you know, I, I guess John Deere, like you're saying, BMW, they're all making this shift kind of like Netflix or something, you know, they're just charging these little monthly fees to 
do whatever you want to do. And I, I don't know. It seems like that's where we're definitely headed. So I talked to a, a gentleman that has absolutely perfected a uh, GPS controlled or whatever you, your tractor on your auger wagon. You don't have to have a driver and the guy in the combine is controlling that. Well, the manufacturers of tractors keep changing their, their reader or whatever it is in, in the cab that, that his program doesn't fit with that. And so uh, it's, it, it's, it's that kind of technology is keeping entry level difficult for a lot of people with new technology. Well, Jordan, yeah, let's uh, let's wrap up with one last question. Um, I want to focus on the younger guys again, Tanner and Logan. And I guess how, how do you guys or uh, Scott and Mark jump in as well? But how do you guys see yourselves transitioning through the company in the next few years? Are you guys planning on taking a leadership role or or uh, Scott and Mark? Are you guys planning on stepping back <laughs> into them or, or uh, on Logan and Tanner, are you guys just uh, planning on working on the divisions you're working on? Is there any any transitioning you guys have started to work on or you envision yourself having here coming up? One thing that we've done really, really well is we've been able to come to get together as a family working in the business. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of family outside of the business, too, but we really try to focus on the family in the business and what that roadmap looks like. And it changes probably every day, but we've done a really good job in the last probably three years. Um, in the fourth generation, we've got basically five individuals, myself, um, my wife in marketing, Tanner in feed, feed ingredients, his brother, Tyler, and then uh, my sister's in HR. So there's, there's a few of us working in the businesses, fourth generation that have a lot of years ahead of us. And we've been able to sit down as as a group in the business um whether it be second gen third gen fourth gen and have really good conversations of here's the you know maybe we're not laying out exactly what's going to happen on this day you're going to become xyz but identifying what our strengths are and where we could where we could benefit the most in the company um, and also here's the challenges that we're going to face in our 30 years here that maybe Mark and Scott have been through similar, but different challenges um, and really just talking through some of those things and trying to identify these things are coming down the line and, and we need to be ready for it. Um, our fourth generation group meets uh, basically monthly. We get together and, you know, it's just a good chance for us. We all work in different worlds. So it's nice for us to say, Hey, here's what I'm working on, or here's what I'm, I'm up against and these challenges are, you know, kind of hard to get through. What do you guys think? You know, and it's been really beneficial for all of us. Uh, not only do we learn more about the business that we don't work in, but we also get unbelievable feedback in uh, from each other um, and working through challenges. Um, we've been a part of a, a peer group for uh, family businesses through the university of Northern Iowa. And we've been able to, travel to different family businesses in Iowa and uh, get to see how they do things, how their transition plans have worked, how their succession plans have, have whether, whether they've been successful or if they have failed. Um, and I think we've learned a lot from that. And it's been really a good experience for us. I'll let Tanner add on to that any way he wants to. But um, I think that we don't necessarily have a roadmap to answer your question, Jordan, but we've really started to have conversations of you know, this is what's going to happen in the next 30 years. Um, these are the challenges we need to be ready for. And, you know, I hope you guys, you know, from, from Mark and Scott's generation, I hope you guys are ready to kind of take some of this stuff on. And uh, I think we're all pretty excited about it, to be honest. Yeah. You know, dad mentioned earlier that a lot of family businesses never see past the third generation. And I think, you know, normally you see a family business, you know, the, the first generation starts it, the second generation grows it, and the third generation is the one that sees it as, you know, for, for their benefit, for them to disperse of. And that's something that has been ingrained in everybody's head here is that this, you know, this business is, is not only supposed to be an asset to our customers, but to our community 
and to be a, a thriving place for people in our community to work. And it's been good for us because the expectations were really clear when we came back and the fourth generation just happened to put it in writing of, hey, here's the expectations of when you come back here. Um, here's what we expect from you as not only just an employer, but here's some extra expectations as a family member. So that's been really good for us and something that we can plan ahead as we look towards, you know, I have a two-year-old as we look towards the fifth generation if she wants to come back here. But, you know, I think is as, as we're trying to grow into the future and, you know, everybody has different career expectations. You know, some people are, are fit for maybe, you know, just they want to be in operations and they want to work on the day-to-day. You know, others in the fourth generation might be better managers than others, but uh, I, th- I think the real goal is just to make sure we keep surrounding ourselves with, with really talented people. And I think we all feel that maybe we can just kind of fill in where needed um, to continue moving forward. But um, I just want to add to Tanner had mentioned in there that we put some of these guidelines in writing. Um, you know, we're, we're not ashamed to share that uh, we've put together a very complete uh, family constitution, uh, as you work in our business, here's the expectations. And whether you're in the second generation, the fourth generation, or the seventh generation, hopefully, um, those expectations are on paper and they're in writing. And it, it clearly defines that if you're going to be a part of our business, this is what the business expects of you. And this is what the family expects you to do and how you're going to behave. And I think that's really important. And, and I think that we spent just about a year going through that. And like I mentioned before, the, the University of Iowa, um, or sorry, University of Northern Iowa family business um, group that we're in was instrumental in helping us get that started and, and working with some peers. And I think that for any family business, whether it be in agriculture or not, and, and this could go even to um, the, you know, the family farm, I think that a family constitution is important and uh, it should just help to bridge all of those challenges moving forward as the second generation falls off and the sixth generation comes in, you know. I'll give you my my two cents looking in on you guys. Uh, This is just my opinion. It makes you extremely successful, especially for your younger folks. It's probably... We all learn from examples and it's examples sitting at the table with your dads and your grandpa and the open transparency that they've allowed and put in place. I've heard both of them, Scott and Mark say, Hey, we focus on the operation side. We're going to do this. We're looking to hire somebody that may know more. I heard your grandpa say, Hey, we brought this guy in that was running 6,000 trucks. I mean, I'm telling you, I meet a lot of family businesses and have been called in to advise them. And a lot of times it would be grandpa sitting over there holding all the cards, not letting anybody see them. <laughs> and you kids might get to run the garden hose one day when you're lucky, you know, when you're about 50. And it, it's the, the landscape that's been set in the transparency and open transparency that's been allowed in your operation from your grandpa down to your dad and his brother. And I mean, I think that's something you guys got to try and continue to carry on. And that'll give you an edge over everyone because that just doesn't happen very often. And, you know, especially when you get into that fourth generation, people will be jockeying for position and they want to hold the cards and not be transparent. It's just that transparency allows you to have edges when you bring in the help you guys are going to bring in. So I, I commend you guys. I think it's awesome. Cause just hearing you guys talk, it's yeah apparent that you are open and, and, and willing to talk to each other and, and, you know, share your weaknesses, which is critical in moving yeah. forward. Yeah, first off, I love the family constitution thing that you brought up there at the end. Um, yeah. That's something we should maybe look at doing, Dad. But, I mean, I think you guys both hit the nail on the head with the answer and what everyone needs to hear on the podcast is, I mean, you guys are having those conversations. That's, that is the key, and I think that yeah. is a lot of people don't do, especially in agriculture. They, they don't sit down and have those conversations on, hey, where are our weaknesses? Where do we need to grow our business? Or, Hey, maybe I, I don't, I don't want to do this. Um, I think you guys, like my dad said, you're very open and, uh, you're, you're not just sitting there trying to put words in your mouth on what your grandpa wants to hear or your dad wants to hear. You you guys are speaking your mind and actually saying what you guys want to do. And I think that's what separates you guys and other families that maybe struggle with a lot of things in their businesses. 
Um, they're not open and transparent about what they want to do and maybe what they don't want to do. So definitely hats off to Good that. To hear it. Good to hear it for sure. So what's going to, Hey, what's going to happen with Iowa state here? We're going to win any of these close games or what are you guys going to do? And well, we, got, we have one point. We, we got awful close last week. <laughs> <laughs> the Hawkeyes got the same problem. I, uh, <laughs> Man, I'm telling you. Yeah, Jordan, one of his best friends, went up there and played at Iowa State. So, you know, yeah. we, we fought a little here and there. So, yeah, for sure. So. Got a great coach, and nice facility. Yeah, heck yeah. Great fans. Yeah, for sure. So, good times. But, well, heck, I don't have anything else. I won't take any more of your guys' time. But I sure appreciate you guys taking the time out and hope to see you guys down here in Kansas City and glad to be of help. If we can do anything for you guys, let us know. We'd love to yeah. help. So. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.